we're in a series in the Gospel of John, walking through the seven key signs or miracles that Jesus performed and the seven I am statements that Jesus made about himself. Ray preached on the first sign, which was Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. Jabe spoke last week about Jesus' first I am statement, I am the bread of life, and I was supposed to preach on the second sign of Jesus in the Gospel of John, which is found in John chapter 4, which is what the text was while we were following along this morning, and not what was being read, which is actually what I'm going to be preaching. So that mix-up was my fault. <laughs> Ever since preaching on Psalm 23 a few weeks ago, I have been meditating on one of the I am statements of Jesus, I am the good shepherd. And I've been thinking about that statement in a very particular context. As we just mentioned this week, is my firstborn son's last Sunday with Providence before heading off to college in Hawaii, which is a long way away. Um, and these past few weeks have been an excellent opportunity for me to reflect on what a terrible job I've done as a father. I don't know about you, but my periods of self-examination can often be brutal. And I have uh, had plenty of opportunity to just rack my brain about all of the things I didn't do right and all of the things I didn't say to him yet that he needs to hear and all of the things I didn't teach that he needs to know and understand. And so I am faced with doubts about whether or not he's ready and whether or not really at the core I'm ready for him to go. Have I really done enough to ground my son so deeply in the truths of Scripture that when he leaves our home, he'll be like the tree in Psalm 1 that's planted by streams of water? Have I delivered the gospel to him and sufficiently discipled him in it so that when he's out there on his own, he's not really on his own? Have I done enough to connect him to the vine? And as I peppered myself with those sorts of questions and as I thought of this Sunday where my son Jason would hear his last sermon at Providence before heading out, I asked myself, what's the one thing I need to tell him before he leaves? What one truth has the potential to carry him through this next chapter of his life? And the answer I kept coming up with was, Jesus is a good shepherd. So I messed up the preaching calendar this morning. Uh, actually, it was about a week or two ago. I put a message out on the preaching team thread on Boxer and said, I know I'm scheduled to teach on this passage in John 4. I'm wondering if I could leapfrog and just preach on this I am statement of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. And Jeff Cook said it was okay. And everybody else didn't say no. <laughs> they didn't say yes, but they didn't say no. So I'm taking it as a unanimous yes from the pastors here that I can do this. Jay is supposed to be preaching on the Good Shepherd here in a few weeks, but he's not here today. So, uh, and depending on how this goes, if he's mad when he gets back, you can either have my back or not. So we're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. And as I was listening to Testimony of the Word, uh, I think we all have experienced this uncanny feeling at some time in our lives, especially those of us that grew up in church, particularly those of us whose dads were preaching, we have felt this feeling like I did something this week and somebody told him that I did that thing and this sermon is about that, right? Even if you're not a pastor's kid, you may have felt this sensation that the preacher is preaching directly at you and sometimes from this side of the pulpit, it is 
True. <laughs> there are times in my own sermon prep where I'm like, now how do I say this point so that this person doesn't think I'm speaking directly to them? There have been times where in my sermon prep I've thought, now how do I say this point so this person does realize I'm speaking directly to them? And this morning is one of those days. I will be preaching, Jason, directly to you. I want you to hear what Jesus says in John 10. And I, it is so good, it is such good news that Jesus gives us in John 10 that those of the rest of you that are here that are not Jason will have plenty from the Spirit of God. And it may even still feel like I'm speaking directly to you. And I hope that it does because that's the Holy Spirit taking his word and using it to speak to your hearts. And I'm convinced from just the testimonies of the word this morning that we have people who need to hear that Jesus is their good shepherd. So while I may have written this sermon with Jason in mind, the Spirit of God inspired this text with you in mind. Each one of you was in mind. And so there are things for you here that will apply to all of you. And this is not just good news for Jason and for Peyton and for anybody else that may have graduated from high school this past spring and is moving out of the nest, so to speak. This is good news for all of us this morning. So, Jason and Providence, the great quest of your life is to know Jesus and be known by him. Throughout the Bible, <clears throat> sheep are used as a picture or a parable of humanity. We are like sheep through the lens of Scripture. Throughout all of the Old Testament, over and over again, the people of God are compared to sheep. And sometimes they're sheep that are wandering away from the true shepherd. Sometimes they're sheep that are trying to follow the true shepherd, but they're being abused by false shepherds. But we are humanity. We are sheep. We are like sheep in the eyes of God. And the one thing that sheep need is a shepherd. That's our one need is a shepherd. And not just any shepherd. We particularly need a good shepherd. And we know we need this. We need and we search for and we want a leader that we can trust and so we search and we search and we search and we see this all throughout the story of the people of God. God gives them Moses and they reject him. God appoints judges to lead his people. And the book of Judges says, but everybody did what was right in their own eyes. He gave them priests and he gave them prophets. And at one point the people cried out for a king and they said, we just want a king. And God said, you don't need a king. I will be your king. And they looked around and they said, look at all these other nations. They all have kings. We want a king. And so God said, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And he gave them Saul who turned out to be the first of many corrupt, evil kings, bad shepherds, actually. Because we were made for a particular shepherd. We are sheep, and we were made to follow a shepherd, and we need that shepherd. And all other shepherds fall short of the one true good shepherd. And David in Psalm 23 acknowledged that shepherd. And just a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 23, where David says, The Lord... The Lord is a shepherd. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. And through that text and many others throughout the centuries, God has patiently reminded his people that he himself is the only truly good and trustworthy leader 
that has ever existed. David himself, a shepherd and a king, writes, The Lord is my shepherd. And in writing that psalm, David recognizes what very few leaders, both then and now, recognize. To whatever extent David was a leader, his job was to lead people to their true leader, the good shepherd, God himself. That is the responsibility of leadership. All of us who are leaders are responsible to lead people to the leader. And we are only good leaders to the extent that we are able to do that, or that we're at least faithful in attempting to do that, because none of us will do that perfectly. So, Jason and Providence, this is your quest, too, to find and be connected to and follow your good shepherd. This is what we all have in common. All of us are like sheep in need of a shepherd, and the good news is that we have one. And in this text, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus points back at all of the references in the Old Testament to this great need of ours, and he says, I am the good shepherd. And he offers a few crucial facts as proof that you can believe this claim. Jason, as you leave our home and you go off to build your own life, may you always remember this truth. Jesus is your only good shepherd. And as your good shepherd, he is all you will ever need. There is nothing else out there that matters as much as this. College doesn't matter as much as this. Doesn't matter as much as knowing and being known by your shepherd. Your major doesn't matter. I have a major in youth ministries. <laughs> your major doesn't matter as much as knowing and being known by your good shepherd. My youth ministries majors has, major has left me ill-equipped to deal with the youth in my own house, let alone all of the youth out there. Your major won't matter. Uh, nothing else, the career that you choose, won't matter as much as finding and knowing and being known by Jesus as your good shepherd. So if you will set this at the center of your life, to know Jesus and to be known by him, he will take care of everything else. He promises that because that's what a good shepherd does. He says, if you will seek the kingdom first, everything else will be added to you. Just seek this thing. He will lead you down all the right paths, according to Psalm 23. He will meet your needs to the extent that you will not find yourself lacking anything. He will make you lie down in green pastures. He'll lead you beside still waters. And when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not need to be overwhelmed by fear because you will have and know a good shepherd. In fact, that's when you will need him most. There are valleys ahead of you. As much as I wish I could shield you from them, there will be painful, terrifying, dark valleys. And at those times, you will be afraid. But if you know your shepherd, the fear and the pain and the shadows won't be able to overwhelm you. In fact, you will be able to bring them into submission to this truth. I have a shepherd and he is for me and he will lead me through this valley. Just like when you were a toddler and you would wake up scared in the night and come into our room and we'd help you get back to sleep. If you will build your life on following your shepherd, he will walk with you through the darkest nights of the soul. And even there, he will help you find rest. So let's together now, Providence, go to the text. John 10, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. 
and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I have authority to take it up again. I'm sorry, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is making an enormous claim here about himself. It is enormous. In fact, if any of us were to stand up here and say, you know, all of the references to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, about this good shepherd that we have, you know Psalm 23 that talks about the Lord being a good shepherd, I am that shepherd, everyone here would walk out angry. Right? Everyone would walk out angry. I would hope so. I would hope that the elders here would stand up and confront and correct and say, this is not, this is an imposter. This is not the good shepherd. This is an enormous claim. And it's actually a twofold claim. First, it is a claim to deity. Jesus here is claiming to be God because that's what Psalm 23 said. And that's what the Old Testament made abundantly clear. The good shepherd is God, and God is the good shepherd, and only God is the good shepherd. And so for Jesus to say this about himself is audacious and true. And if it's not true, it's blasphemy. If this is not true, this is blasphemy. Jesus is saying, by saying this, in different words, I am God. I am specifically the Lord, your God. I am the good shepherd. So it is a claim to deity, but it's not only that. It is also a claim to humanity. David said that the Lord was our shepherd. And so what Jesus is actually saying is, I am the Lord. He's claiming to be God, which, yes, is an enormous claim. But he is also saying, I am the shepherd. I'm a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The New Testament authors explain that the things that we see in the Old Testament are shadows. And in the New Testament, it says that Jesus is the body that casts that shadow. That's in Colossians 2.17. Hebrews 8 says that the Old Testament priesthood was a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Hebrews 10 says the Old Testament law was a shadow of the good things to come. Psalm 23 is a shadow, and Jesus Christ is the body that casts that shadow. That's the claim that he's making here. That's the claim. Psalm 23 is good news, right? It's good news. Current culture. You can find it everywhere. You see it referenced in movies. Whenever they cast somebody to oversee or, or to conduct a funeral service, they'll often read from the 23rd Psalm. You see it in secular books. You see it in speeches. You see it, you hear it in songs. Those of you that are from the 90s and heard Coolio, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I, won't, I could do the rest word for word, but I won't. 
that's, that's this, that's Psalm 23. And it's really, really good news, and it has been far-reaching through thousands of years. And it still stands as a bulwark for people who are going through hard times. And as we face difficult, challenging valleys in life, we often turn to Psalm 23. But it's also, in its brevity, somewhat vague. Because God is a spirit. And so it's, it's helpful for us to be able to picture this spirit, this being, as a shepherd who cares for us. That's immensely helpful. But what Jesus is doing in saying this is, this is not just a spirit. This shepherd has blood and bone. This shepherd has a face and a smile. This shepherd has a personality. This shepherd is human. And I am this shepherd. Jesus physically, right now, is our human shepherd. He's alive now. He is in a place. He has a height. He weighs something. Have you thought about that? He weighs something. According to scripture, he's an average-sized man, and he is taking an average-sized man's space somewhere in the presence of God. Jesus is still as human as he was when he made that statement, and he is saying, you, your shepherd has a face. Your shepherd is a human being. He's not just a theological idea. He is a person, and he's right here in front of you. I am your good shepherd. That is enormously good news. And for us, it's almost as audacious a claim as the claim to deity that Jesus made all those years ago. Because for us, that's really hard for us to wrap our minds around. We actually can wrap our minds around, especially if we were raised in the church, of Jesus being God. We don't struggle too much with the idea of Jesus' deity. But the idea that Jesus has skin, like I do, and ears, and when he stands, he takes up space. It's audacious, but it's true. It's true. And it's incredibly good news. Because your theological ideas may not always connect with you when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And they probably won't speak to you as you're in that valley. But the people who care about you will. The people with flesh on around you in your life will. They'll gather around you in the back of the auditorium and they'll pray for you. And this person, this Jesus, this shepherd will. He will be there. He will walk through the valley with you. This is good news. This is good news. So this is the claim. Jesus says, I am the shepherd. That's the claim. And he gives a few statements to support this claim. And interestingly, he, spent, he puts almost all of the weight as evidence for this claim in the valley of the shadow of death. Now, why do you think that is? Most of what he says to support this claim, this lofty idea that he is the good shepherd, most of the words are around the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Why does he go there for most of his proof that he's the good shepherd? I'm open to your thoughts. Why do you think that is? Why does he spend the bulk of his support for this claim in the valley of the shadow of death? Come on. 
The good shepherd never runs away. That's when you need him. That's when, yes, yes, that's when you need him. That's when you feel like he's not there. It is easy to forget the shepherd when we're laying down in green pastures, isn't it? When life is going good, I know it's not just me. I know I'm not the only one who tends to forget God when life is going good. It's easy to forget that we need the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when I'm not wanting, it's easy to forget the one who supplies my needs. Oh, but in the valley of the shadow of death. I can tell you in the sleepless nights, I'm very well aware of my need for a shepherd. I am very well aware. And also it's because he, it, that's when it feels like he's not there. When life is going good, it feels like God's there. For something as small as like getting a parking spot close to King Supers, you can feel like God is there, right? Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. I'm walking in your favor. But the minute that life takes a turn, where are you? Where are you? It very quickly feels like the shepherd is gone or like we don't have one. And Jesus understands this because, as the writer of Hebrews says, we have a compassionate high priest who went through all of the things that we went through so that he could be compassionate in our suffering. So that he would know what it feels like to be in the valley of the shadow of death. And because Jesus knew that he's good, he says, first the good shepherd is, I will lay my life down for you. That's, his that's the first test that he submits to us for our consideration as we're trying to evaluate whether or not he's really a good shepherd. He says the first test is, I will lay my life down for you. And how many of your other shepherds will do that? Think about all of the people that you look up to. Because the next thing that Jesus goes into is, nobody else will. All of these other false shepherds will cut and run when the wolves come. That's what he immediately moves into. False shepherds will abandon you when the wolves come. I will lay my life down for you when the wolves come. Have you ever been abandoned by somebody you thought you could trust in leadership? When life got hard, have you had leaders who weren't there? When the wolves came, have you been left to fend for yourself? I know not all of us love the Enneagram here at Providence, but if you are aware of the Enneagram, I am a six, I'm a loyalist. Oh yes, I've got a couple of co-sixes, all right. Something that we share in common, and, and at Providence, all we see the Enneagram is, it's not gospel truth. We see it as a helpful tool to make sense of our personalities. And something that we tend to have in common, if you, if you resonate with being a six on the Enneagram, is we don't trust our leaders. We are inherently skeptical of leadership. And I don't know if I'm just jaded and that became who I am or if that's always who I was, but it didn't take me long in adult life to learn you can't trust very many leaders. It's better to just wait and see. And so I do that. I do that. When I uh, am under new leadership, I, I just wait and see. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but inwardly, I just, I just doubt that they're really going to be there when the wolves come because I've seen plenty of leaders not be. I've seen enough to know better. And so I value good leadership. 
And when I find good leadership, I hold on for dear life. And even then, sometimes, sometimes they let you down. There is a reason. In fact, every leader will at some point let you down, other than the good shepherd. Every other shepherd that you turn to, every other leader that you put your hope in will eventually let you down. Every one of them, I promise. Presidents will. <laughs> Presidents love politicians. We'll just put politicians. Politicians love to claim to know the way to the green pastures, right? I know the way to the green pastures. If you'll just get me in office, I will get you to the green pastures. I will bring hope and change. I will make America great again. Whatever the promise, I will do it, and we believe them. We tend to believe them. And it doesn't take us long to become disenchanted and realize this is not a green pasture. This doesn't feel any greener than four years ago, right? Politicians aren't the only ones that do this. Every leader does this. Every leader. Every leader will let you down. I should say that. I don't think every leader is as disingenuous as some of our politicians are. But I will let you down. I'm a pastor. If I haven't told you yet, I will let you down. I will. I'm going to. I am a human-sized pastor, and I will let you down. Jack Antonoff, who is the... Anybody know who that is? Because a lot of people don't. But anybody know Jack Antonoff? A few of you are smiling and saying that you do. Okay, yes. Uh, Guitarist for the band Fun. Also lead singer of the band now Bleachers, which is also his kind of stage persona. Wrote an incredible song. There are some incredible songs out there that if I didn't know it, if I didn't know better, I would think that the person that wrote them is like a Jesus follower. <laughs> he wrote a song called All My Heroes, and when I heard it, the lyrics resonated with me on a profound lo- level. There's a line that says, all my heroes got tired, and all the days they got short. That has been the story of my life. I've had so many leaders just get tired and give up. And we see it throughout the church. If we just pick on ourselves, let's stop picking on politicians. Let's just pick on ourselves. We see it throughout the American church. Just about every week, there's another leader who's gotten tired and has gotten enveloped in scandal of some sort and has to step down. Almost weekly now, it seems. All my leaders got tired and all my days they got short because When our leaders get tired and we get let down, the night gets longer, doesn't it? If the person that you're trusting in abandons you when the wolf comes, you are in for some long nights, aren't you? You've been there at 3 o'clock in the morning when it's just terrifying because your leaders got tired. He goes on in the end of the song, toward the end of the song, and he says, uh, when, all your leader, when all your heroes get tired, I'll be something better. And I think that's where he gets it wrong. That's where he gets it wrong. I think actually Trent Reznor got it right when he said in his song, Hurt, I will let you down, I will make you hurt. I think that's a more accurate picture of what leadership is, and I think more leaders should probably in humility embrace that reality Instead of promising something that you can't promise, I can't promise you that when all your other leaders get tired, I'll be something better. I can't. I'm probably going to get tired. I'm probably going to hurt you. What Jesus is saying here that is different is not me. Jesus is the one 
leader with the right, with the authority, with the track record to say, all of your other leaders can turn their backs on you. All of your other leaders can let you down. I will never let you down. I will stake my life on not letting you down. Jason, as your father, I would love to say, and I would say, I would lay my life down for you. But the truth of the matter is, when you're all the way off in Hawaii, if something happens, I can't. I won't be there. I won't always be there to lay my life down for you. It sounds great and heroic. I want it to be true, but it might not be possible. Jesus is the only leader who will gladly lay his life down for you. Every time the wolves come, every time. That's his support. That's his first support. You can know that I'm a good leader because when the wolves come for you, I will lay my life down and let you escape. I will put my life on the line for you. Test number two, I know my sheep and they know me. He repeats the claim in verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me. The second test of a good shepherd is that he knows his sheep. This one might seem obvious, but if you think about it, it's extremely rare. How many of the leaders out there or how many of the people that you look up to really, really know you? How many of your heroes know you as well as your own family members know you? Probably fairly few. I have a handful of leaders in my life right now, and it's mostly the elders here at Providence who know me, I would say, better than my own family knows me my own extended family. My wife and my kids know me all too well. But my fellow elders here know me better than my parents know me. They know me better than my brother and sister know me. They know me on a deep level. Outside of them, there aren't any leaders that really know me. I follow a lot of people. I, I listen to a lot of advice from business leaders out there. I have had good counselors speak into my life. I've had good business coaches lead me to green pastures, teach me things that I didn't know. I have a personal trainer who knows the way to the green pasture of fitness and health, and I haven't been to see him in about a month. <laughs> but he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know my motivations. He doesn't know what keeps me up at night. He doesn't know me. Very few leaders know me. And what Jesus says is, I know my sheep. A few years ago when we were affirming a couple of new elders, Terry Bratton and Jerome Groskopf, neither of them are new elders. They're both elder elders. Uh, I got the chance to tour a sheep farm because I was doing a little video for them about when Jesus uh, talked about this text, actually, about what it means to be a shepherd. And I got, a, I got to interview a real-life shepherd and he had a flock of around 100 or so sheep. And I asked him this question because I was skeptical. I was like, do you really know all your sheep by name? And he said, oh, yeah. I said, okay, 100 sheep. I, I have five kids, and I barely know all five of their names. And I never get their birth dates right when I have to fill out forms in the doctor. I always have to, like, I start filling out their birth date, and I'm like, Jason, what year were you born? Because I just don't, I can't keep it all straight. 100 sheep? There's not a chance. How do you know the names of 100 sheep? And he said, well, really, the first, when I first got into this, that first winter, we had a major snowstorm. And I spent every night for a couple of weeks out in the barn with the sheep just trying to keep them alive because sheep are really susceptible to cold 
and I was just trying to keep them warm and keep them alive, and I was speaking to them, and I came out of that, and I knew every single one of them by name, and I knew all their little differences and peculiarities. I didn't sleep much, but I knew my sheep after that. He knew them by name, and he proved it. He just started calling them, and uh, Caleb Cole was there, actually, a friend of ours who was doing the video, and he's my witness. He saw this happen. He could call his sheep by name, and there were a hundred of them. Jesus doesn't just say that. Jesus doesn't just offer that as proof that he's the good shepherd. I know my sheep. He also says, and my sheep will know me. And this is another thing that I observed in the barn, is the sheep would recognize his voice. The minute they were out, actually, when we got there, they ran out of the barn and were out in the pasture. The minute he called them, they came running in. And you've seen videos probably of this out in the Middle East where shepherds will have their flocks all together and one shepherd will call his sheep out and at the sound of his voice, all of his sheep separate out from the flock and go and start following him. That's the idea that Jesus is getting at here. You, you already know I'm your good shepherd is essentially what he's saying. You already know it to be true. I know you and you know me. So then it would seem that, like I said at the beginning, the great aim of our life should be to know our shepherd. Nothing is more important than being able to know him and recognize his voice. Why? Because the valley is coming. And when the valley comes, we need to know our shepherd. Because we probably won't know much else. We're not omniscient, Brian, like you admitted. We don't know what the diagnosis is going to be. We don't really know how to treat ourselves if the diagnosis is bad. We don't know what the future holds. In fact, that's the thing that keeps us afraid. It's the lack of our omniscience. We come up against it and we worry and we get anxious because there's a lot of things that we don't know. But if we know one thing, if we know our shepherd and we know that he's good, we will be okay. We will be okay. No matter how scary and dark it gets, if we know that to be true, we will be okay. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And then lastly, his third test, I have authority over my own life and death and yours. I have authority over my own life and death and yours. I think that this claim, maybe more than the first two, were, it, it, uh, the purpose of it is to support the claim to deity. That's what the purpose of this claim is. I have authority over my own life and death. Only a god could say that, right? I can't say that. I mean, we have seen in church history people who have, to a degree, had the power of their, or have had authority over their own death because they have, like, gone to the stake for their faith and been burned alive, or they've been tortured in some other horrible way, and they've laid their lives down for their faith, right? And you could say, in a sense, they had power over their death. They could have denied the faith and lived. And instead, they clung to their faith and they died. They had power over their death. Nobody in history has laid their life down and then taken it back up again, except one. No one else has done that. And at this point, he hadn't done it yet. He was basically showing all of his cards and he was saying, this is how you're going to know that I'm the good shepherd. I have authority over my death and over my life. I can lay it down and I can take it back up again. Well, how, you can say that all you want, but how do we know? 
it's going to be pretty costly to prove that. Wouldn't you think? I mean, if somebody in the crowd, if there were any sixes in the crowd, and they said, well, prove it, that's going to cost a lot to prove it, to lay your life down and be able to take it back up again. But Jesus did. Jesus did. In fact, this is, in my opinion, this is the conclusive, weightiest proof for us. This is it. This is how, if this is true, then we know that he was telling the truth. If this one's true, if he really has the authority over his own life and death, then we can bank on him being honest about everything else that he's saying. If he can lay his life down and if he can take it back up again, then I will believe that he truly is the good shepherd. In fact, this is what Thomas was hung up on. Thomas heard all of this. Thomas heard this. And still, when Jesus died, he doubted. Because the hardest thing to prove is the last part of that. The idea that somebody could take their life up again. You almost get the idea that Thomas was scoffing when he said, look, if I, if I can feel the scars, then I'll believe it. Then I'll believe it. And so Jesus walks into the room and says, Thomas, behold, my hands, my side. And Thomas believes. He believes. The skeptic believes. Jesus was patient enough with the skeptic and loving enough with the skeptic to give him what he needed to believe, and Thomas believed. It was the fact that Jesus had power over his own life that convinced Thomas. This is it. This is the, this is the most substantial proof that we have. Scripture refers to God as a shepherd. The New Testament refers to Jesus as the fulfillment of that imagery. But the New Testament also goes on, and even the old, to picture Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. So when he says, I have the power to lay my life down, it was costly, and he followed through on it. The entire sacrificial system, which is huge if you read about it, there were sacrifices for everything. All of that, Hebrews says, was a shadow. And Jesus Christ was the body that cast the shadow. Christ on the cross, specifically, was the body that cast that shadow. That moment, right shortly after he said this, that he would stand before Pontius Pilate, and he would say, nobody takes my life from me. Only I have the authority to lay my life down. Nobody takes my life from me. And then this shepherd, this Emmanuel, God with us, this good shepherd from Psalm 23, now with us, became a sacrificial lamb and was killed for us. We talked about this in Psalm 23, but if, if we're looking for a good shepherd and we're sheep, we really want a shepherd that understands what it's like to be a sheep. And the good news is we have one. Our good shepherd became the only good lamb and the only lamb that would suffice to be sacrificed in our place. And he laid his life down for us. You have no other leader in your life. And there has never been another leader that has walked the face of this earth that has been sufficient to do that for you. No one else. Jason, I will never be sufficient to do that for you. Even if somehow I laid my life down for you, it would not be sufficient for you for all time. Christ alone took on the role of the sacrificial lamb and was sacrificed, and then three days later, he took his life back up again, and he walked out of the tomb. 
And in closing, this is, this is one of the final pictures, actually, that we have of him. It's interesting. One of the final pictures that we have of Jesus is a sh- as a sheep shepherd. It's in Revelation chapter 8. Or no, it's actually 17. One second. I actually just lost it. I'm sorry. One second. If you find it, it might be in chapter 18. It's where a sheep is leading us, and it's really important. And I will find it. Is it seven? I did have it marked in the right place. 717. Okay, thank you. Who Was that you? Thank you. I appreciate you. You could come up and read it if you want to. 7 verse 17, one of the last pictures that we have. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The lamb in the midst of the throne. Elsewhere in Revelation, he's pictured as a lamb that has been slain. A lamb with his throat cut. That's what this lamb pictures. The lamb in the midst of the throne will also be their shepherd. We don't have a high priest who doesn't know what it's like to be human. We have a shepherd who is also a lamb and knows what it's like and can therefore sympathize, Brian, with all of the fear. Val, all of the pain. He sympathizes. He knows. He knows the pain. And because he's a lamb... He's an awfully good shepherd. Because he's a lamb who knows what it's like not just to exist as a lamb, but to be slaughtered as a lamb, to go through the valley of the shadow of death and come out on the other side alive because he's that kind of a lamb. He is also a mighty good shepherd. So providence, this is the aim of our lives. This is it. This is it. Psalm 23 is a shadow. We do have a good shepherd, awfully good shepherd. And Jesus Christ is the body that casts a, shep- cast a shadow. And if that's true, or because that's true, we should make it our aim together to love this God together, to follow this shepherd together. And Jason and Peyton, as you go, may you follow this shepherd and know him and be known by him. It's the most important thing I have to say to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our church, for all of the hurting that's out there and all the fear that's out there. And I pray for my son. I pray for Peyton. Father, I pray that we would know Jesus as our shepherd. The truth is, I want my son to know a shepherd, and even in that, I need a shepherd. I need to know that there's a shepherd that will grab him and lead him. And I want that for all of Providence. I want that for everybody in the room. I want that for Brian this morning. I want you to let him know that he has a good shepherd. 
thank you for this truth. It's the most important truth and the best truth in the universe. Thank you for it. Thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.